0: And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Brand Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Brand Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
0: Lord Neil Kinnock is a former politician who was Vice President of the European Commission from 1999 till 2004, and leader of the Labour Party and Leader of the Opposition from 1983 to 1992, making him the longest serving opposition leader of all time and he's on the line with us here and this is a
2: big question today of all days but how are you feeling mixed feelings actually yeah Uh, i'd be i wouldn't be telling the truth if i said that i was less than delighted by the way in which the tory party has exposed itself Mm. but The other part of the feeling, the predominant part, the predominant part is the uh, appalling sadness at the uh, awful, awful harm that they're inflicting on our country and people of every background, every social grouping, every part of the country. Um, It's devastating and the rapidity with which it's happened and the depth of the decline is dreadful. It's taken 12 years to get to this and of course the weaknesses built in since 2010 have played their part in making our country so vulnerable to what I can only describe as an attack on living standards by our own government.
0: So we'll get into a little bit more detail about everything that's going on currently in a second but for you, what motivated you to get into politics
2: in the first place? I mean, was that always the plan? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Far from it. Um, I, when I was a kid, uh, even nine, ten years of age... Um, partly because of my family background, which wasn't strongly partisan political, though mm. my parents were socialists, the whole family were trade unionists and committed to the well being of the community. And it occurred to me quite early on, I guess, certainly by the time I was 12 or 13, that all the good things we had in the community I was growing up in, which was the South Wales Mining Valley community, uh, came from collective action, whether it was the swimming pool or the library or the snooker hall or uh, the schooling or the health service or anything. Housing was a consequence of everybody chipping in and consequently individuals, families, and therefore the whole community benefiting. So I guess that when I discovered the word um made me a socialist in any case. I mm. uh, then joined the Labour Party when I was 14, three months younger than was allowed at the time, wow. <laughs> um, because our local county councillor, lovely man called Bill Harry, uh, he was also a ward secretary. And uh, I talked him into allowing me in on the 1st of January, 1956, three months before I was 15, when I would have been formally allowed to join. So um, I was engaged because I thought the only way to get the changes that I saw were necessary, like a lot of other 14-year-old kids do now uh, and always have done, is to act together. And to, uh, I suppose I didn't think of it in these terms, but uh, translate it. From my fourteen-year-old self is to get organized so that we could uh, secure a change through um, the voting system, through politics, through democracy. So that's where it all started. Um, I then went to university and was very active politically. I ran the socialist society in my university. I was very fortunate that a year after I got there, I was joined by um, Dennis, who became my wife, yeah. and she was secretary of the socialist society. I was the chairman and uh, we built up a a formidable organization (laughs) um, and spent far too much time on it, of course, um, because the only thing that really interests me or things that interested me when I was a youngster was um, uh, rugby, uh, football, politics, uh, rock and roll and and girls. So (laughs) not always in that order. Sometimes the girls came first, but um, that was the back. I was then very fortunate. I got a job when I left university uh, with the Workers' Educational Association, um, doing classes for junior managers and shop stewards, trade union shop stewards. And um, one night in February 1969, uh, the aging, but not terribly old, uh, Member of Parliament for the seat where we happened to find a house, which was halfway between our two jobs. Um, He just announced in a meeting um, on that February night that he wasn't going to fight the next election. I got together with my friends and said, OK, who are we going to run? And they said, you, you silly sod. Of course, it's good for you. So I got selected. I was very lucky. I got selected by two votes, uh, 100 oh sorry, 76 to 74. Wow! And I was a member of parliament at the age of 28. So that's the whole story.
1: Yeah,
0: and of course the thing you're maybe most known for is being the leader of the opposition. Most of that time was going up against Margaret Thatcher as the prime minister. What was it like to go up against her? Because you may disagree with her on a lot of things, but she's probably one of the most iconic. Prime Ministers of all time, definitely one of the most memorable and she was quite a force uh,
2: She was forceful and iconic um, The analysis that we were doing at the time which has been even more strongly reinforced by all of the analysis since, demonstrates that uh, she was in many ways uh, disastrous for our country in terms of external relations. But even more importantly, in the loss of twenty-five percent of the country's manufacturing capacity, the devastation of whole communities, the massive increase in poverty, especially child poverty and pensioner poverty, that took place, the squandering of a hundred. Sixty billion billion worth of North Sea Oil revenues and the sell-off of council houses without, and this is the crucial thing, uh, allowing the revenues released by that, the money that people paid in to buy their houses, to be used for new build or renovation, which has directly contributed, of course, to the kind of housing crisis that we've got all these years later, uh, simply because the stock of new affordable housing just effectively dried up and All of that was dreadful, on top of which, final point, I guess, um, she introduced the Big Bang, the deregulation of finance, uh, which made a direct contribution to the looseness of supervision, which made us part of the worldwide crash of the economy, the financial system, right across the globe. And there's a heavily financial economy, particularly in Britain, in 2007, 2008. So it's a pretty dire story on any thorough, fair, dispassionate analysis. Any figures that I quote from that period are from completely independent analytical sources. And all they've done actually is go through the accounts for those periods and come up to the conclusion that the country was more divided, large parts of it were impoverished, communities were deprived, and the future was badly very very badly affected in terms of basics like investment in education in the health service in housing uh, and of course in business generally
0: and how is your opinion of margaret thatcher changed over the years i mean has it has it mellowed or has it gotten worse
2: Well, the record speaks for itself, really. Um, I mean, she was in many ways a strange woman. Um, To get to where she was, uh, she had to be, and it's a great tribute to her, of course, that she was the first woman prime minister of our country. uh, And one would have hoped, without in any way being sexist or chauvinist or thinking that women have different capacities from men, uh, they don't accept that. I think, in some respects, there is. a thing as women's intuition which can make them superior judges of conditions in particular circumstances but uh she one of the strangenesses was she seemed to take a particular pride in trying to demonstrate that she didn't have that essential quality of insight of intuition of empathy which we normally associate with women. And I have to say I've been very fortunate in my life uh, as what I've encountered uh, as being great strengths of women. I've also been lucky from my grandmother and my aunts and my mother particularly and my wife and indeed my daughter and daughter-in-law and all the women in my life have been strong, independently minded, loving women.
0: And also during that time when you were Labour leader, times changed a lot after you went because it eventually paved the way for Tony Blair. I mean, were you aware that times were changing?
2: Oh, yes. I I mean, a lot of the battles that I had within my own party, but also with The Conservative government was a deep-rooted conviction that in segments of my party and in the Conservative leadership, there was a real reluctance, indeed a resistance, to recognizing the seismic plates that were shifting in technology, public attitudes, social relationships, uh, power in the world, um, the aspirations of people, all that in the 1980s, between the late 70s and the early 90s, were undergoing really fundamental shifts. And the reluctance to recognize that hugely disadvantaged my party for a long time. But it also impeded the judgment of the leadership of the country, the conservative leadership. And, you know, I was trying to get the future born in some ways. I was far from alone in that. There were okay. millions of people who were thinking about the condition of the world, not just in politics, but particularly in science, technology, the arts, um, fashion even, popular music even, right across the spectrum, and we were sort of stuck in some post-imperial delusion, and uh, trying to break free free of that was not easy. Fortunately, um, what I managed to do, according to all those who have commented on it, really, Both my successors as leaders of the party and eventually prime ministers, of course, um, and people in political science and analysts of various kinds, they do say that I changed things enough in the Labour Party to provide um, what I think you called trail breaking or words that if um, to make the victory of Tony Blair in '97 uh, possible um, and give him and Gordon Brown a solid political. Basis for them to develop their ideas and what, in many respects, were very helpful and positive innovations in government, particularly, for instance, in health and education investment. Yeah.
0: And also during your time as Labour leader, there were minor strikes. Are you happy with how you dealt with them? And also, although they're very different, what would your advice be to the leadership today dealing with strikes going on at the moment?
2: Well, as you say, times have changed. Um, And the nature of the disputes that we've got now against the background of very high and rising inflation are different from the miners strike of 84 85 and indeed some of the other strikes in the steel industry in the print industry for so on so they i'd have to take the two sets of issues separately because yeah. of great differences um so far as the miners strike was concerned um i made The calls, which I thought were very straightforward and unanswerable, really, uh, for a democratic ballot of the miners as required under their own constitution, their own book of rules, um, as a precondition for the 84-85 strike, as it had been in every single dispute in the coal mining industry. Um, That was ignored by a mining leadership, specifically Arthur Scargill who virtually ruled alone. He didn't tell his national executive committee most of what he was doing or consult them on decisions and certainly had no strategy uh, for uh, anticipating the strike, organizing the strike, sustaining the strike uh, and he let it go on for months and months longer than was necessary in any, if you like, normal trade union dispute. Uh, And when was given opportunities for negotiating at least a score draw, as it were, and mitigating the appalling effects on the mining communities, he simply (laughs) brushed those aside. Um, So his leadership was appalling, uh, hugely diminished uh, by the fact that he relied entirely on exploiting the superhuman loyalty of a quite extraordinary workforce. Um, And the one regret I've got in it all, apart from the outcome and the devastation of communities which followed for decades, decades, then it's that I didn't even more assertively, even more loudly and stridently tell him, as I told him in private, and actually it said in public, but if I I should have banged that drum even louder. If you don't have a democratic ballot, this strike is doomed from the start. First of all, you will have a divided mining workforce, which he did. And secondly, you will not get sympathetic action from the other workers in power stations, the transport industries, in the docks, in the power I said in the generating industries, that's crucial if you're going to try and uh, limit the supply of coal and have a real impact very quickly within days on the conduct of affairs. So uh, the absence of a strategy was suicidal. And um, I I made that clear, I made it clear to him
1: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Individually, but I, I wish I'd really said virtually nothing else and kept on saying it. it was appalling. Today I know there's a song dance about um, in some quarters and of course it's gleefully seized upon by elements in the press uh, about attendance at picket lines. Now the solidarity with the cause of people who are trying to sustain a standard of living is unquestioned that's very straightforward the problem is uh, would appearance by MPs on picket lines make any difference? Would it help with the Cause? Would it uh, assist in getting a negotiated settlement? Uh, would it help in getting the justifiable claims that are being made by uh, groups in dispute? And the answer to all those questions is no. Um, it, it could warm the coggles of the MP's heart, feeling the solidarity on the picket line. I've been there. I know about it. It certainly does. And momentarily, in that precise context, I know the workers uh, in dispute um, are grateful. that's fine. But in terms of subscribing anything to the desired outcome, uh, it's nil. That's the basic raw reality, which is a shame but the truth. And in terms of the political impact, if for one moment there are any voters who believe that the Labour leadership cannot be trusted with the well-being of the nation because they've engaged in gesture politics, which is actually what it is, then it's not worth sacrificing that vote because the only conditions in which people will see justice advancing, not instantly achieved, but advancing fair play, decent treatment, security is if they get a Labour government and anything that gets in the way of that should be resisted.
0: Now a lot of the polls are saying, probably every poll, is saying if there was an election tomorrow Labour would win. Do you think that's going to happen?
2: Within the last four weeks, I've moved from believing that a Labour government, even maybe a minority government, because of the size of the Conservatives' majority, is really possible, to moving to a view that it is now really probable. And I think that rather than being a minority government, there's a very good chance of Labour forming a majority government and being able to get on with the job of clearing up this appalling mess.
0: And what do you think is going to happen? How long has Liz Truss got left is she going to go or is she going to stay and what happens if so are we going to have another leadership race and election or I mean it's probably hard to tell.
2: It's impossible to tell really. (laughs) I I, I see you've got a photograph of the cabinet on the wall behind you. (laughs) Yes I do. And I I, I couldn't resist that cheap shot so (laughs) uh, if I put it like this for the last couple of weeks and certainly today there is only one question in the mind of every Tory MP and maybe a lot of them membership. And the question is is there someone who can give the appearance of bringing us together, who can get to be Prime Minister, leader of a party and Prime Minister unopposed so that there's no drawn out contest and can then steady things in order that we can avoid annihilation. At the moment, and as it has been for the last few weeks, the answer To that is no. Well, it's actually the full answer is no, but we're searching. And the moment that they feel that they've got either one candidate who can move straight into Downing Street, or that they can fix a contest between Jeremy Hunt and, and Rishi Sunak and have it over with the membership consulted within two weeks, the moment that the answer to the question is yes, um, Liz Truss will be out within minutes. Uh, because desperation, and my God, they are desperate, as I think... Anybody watching newspapers or television or listening to the radio will agree they are desperate. Desperation brings invention and they will fix a system uh, that secures an instant prime minister or one within a maximum of two weeks. And then... The effort will be made, obviously, to steady things, steady the markets, steady the Conservative Party, steady public opinion, uh, and then... What will be at the back of their minds is the possibility of an attempted giveaway uh, budget before general election at the end of 2024. Um, That's, I think, they're the only credible scenarios. Um, And of course, in that, vitally, fundamentally, in all that, the country doesn't come into their thoughts. Uh, The well-being of our country—it's their entire preoccupation—is what do we do about the Conservative Party? And that is shameful.
0: What do you think about the Labour Party as well and Keir Starmer?
2: I think he's doing a terrific job. I think that he has been, from day when, frankly, massively disadvantaged, of course, by the fact that we had this appalling experience, we've still got it in many respects, of the coronavirus pandemic, which meant that the only really available activity for a leader of the opposition is to meet people, to make speeches, to make arguments, And to do it in full public view or as full public view as the media will permit. Mm -hmm. And of course, for well over a year of his leadership, he simply didn't have that possibility. And despite that, he's kept his nerve, shown his great quality, and it is an essential quality, of maturity, applied intelligence, wisdom, and battled on producing ideas, producing credible policies, and putting them forward with passion, yes, conviction, yes, but with calmness, with stability, with security. And that combination of his natural inclination, because he is, uh, this guy was born a grown up, you know, he just, which is <laughs> terrific. Um, combined with that temperament, that character is a very straightforward honesty, even when the news is not good, which is when you need maximum honesty. Anybody can deal with good news. Um, and also, absolutely bone marrow patriotism. It's an overused word. Word. But in his case, he feels right in his gut that he's got to make our country work for the sake of the people. So his patriotism isn't about flag-suttering. Uh, you respect the flag, of course you do, but you serve the people who live under the flag. And that's uh, that's Starmer's patriotism. Um, and it's, it's completely authentic. What do you see is what he... And some personal questions to finish. What yeah. does Lord Kinnock do... To relax. <laughs> I do what other people do. I I I watch TV. I fulminate about my football team. Uh, I worry about the selection of the Welsh rugby squad. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I'm very, very, very fortunate. They've got a wonderful family. Uh, My daughter and son-in-law and their kids live literally around the corner. My son uh, is obviously in South Wales a lot of the time, but uh, his home in London is 20 minutes away. So I, I see him and his wife. Frequently, uh, our grandchildren are terrific, so I'm I'm very lucky. My wife has got Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed uh, five years ago, and of course, that's my main preoccupation, uh, caring for her. Um, I'm massively assisted by um, a carer who comes in for several hours a day, which is why I can talk to you now. Um, and anybody who has had to deal with a loved one suffering from dementia will know um, that that can be a searing experience as you see the person that you've known and loved in our case for 60 years uh, just altering before your eyes and i mean this is a woman who earned great distinctions, both as a teacher and as uh, a politician and a minister, indeed, um, who's written books, campaigned around the world uh, for development and against poverty. was a wonderful constituency, a member of the European Parliament. Um, no load was too heavy and no fight was too hot. Yeah. With a terrific sense of humour, a marvellous sense of mischief. And come on, it's all gone.
0: For you as well, what kind of TV shows do you like to watch?
2: Right, oh, there's an assortment. I I find myself I love Mock the Week. I love mm. Mock. I occasionally watch some of the other comedy shows. But Mock the Week comes out head and shoulders on TV yeah. on the on the radio. Radio 4 has got wonderful comedy shows. Um and You know, they are what I like best. I I watch a lot of sport, obviously. um, And I mean, one of the great miracles of our age is the accessibility of television. Um, So it's, I mean, the the BBC news program or even Sky sometimes is wallpaper in our kitchen. uh, It's time. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I do. I read a terrific amount. I'd see it during the day, and usually thrillers, crime novels. Before mm. I and
0: have you ever been asked to appear on a show like Strictly or Bake Off or something like that?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I not recently, thank God. But um, when I was a couple of years younger. Um, until it was about 76 77 those uh Kind invitations used to come in and I used to decline with thanks. <laughs> I mean, I have. I, I've had a few lovely occasions um, appearing in acting roles. Oh. Uh, well, I did drop a dead donkey, for instance. <laughs> years, uh, about, well, it must be, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, where I was uh, i was a bodyguard <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and had to tackle a would-be assassin, or what was supposed to be an assassin, he turned out to be a television commentator <laughs> the part was played by John snow who's a epic guy and he's very very tall a uh, lovely man I've known him for many years and uh, I tackled him with uh, maybe too much enthusiasm <laughs> so we crashed through the sets and everything fell down. <laughs> I mean, we had we had to shoot it again that um, was John is very forgiving uh, yeah. somebody lesser uh, <coughs> excuse me <coughs> could have been nasty about it but frankly he was he was very gracious um, but I, I mean I, I only know one way to tackle <laughs> <laughs> well where
0: are we able to keep up to date with you is there anywhere I mean are you on social media no, no, or no. anything like that
2: no 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 I mean I I dip into um, what's it called uh, Twitter when something coming up just to have a look what other people are saying uh, some of it delights and really tickles me that I mean people produce some wonderfully funny comments on yeah. uh, other parts of it that are just so packed with hate, um, I, just beyond my comprehension. I mean, I, I, I've i got my own hatreds, injustice, or oppression, bullying, um, but even I couldn't express my feelings about those evils in the way that some people will express their hatred of, oh, I don't know, rock stars or mm. people you mentioned, Bake Off or... Um, Politicians or whatever—I mean, the poison in them is just. I mean, I've never comprehended, uh, you know, nasty violence that people inflict on each other, particularly men on women. Never Mm. understood that, and I don't understand this level of hatred. It's just like, like I think I'm part of the vast majority who could say. They abominate it, of course, but they just don't understand. Um, It is a kind of sickness, but it's not something that a doctor could diagnose. It's, It's... It's just um, an awful affliction because you can't live on hate. You can't can't thrive on hate, certainly. Yeah, I think it's just a thing where
0: the vast majority of us are like you. We're not filled with this hatred, but social media somehow amplifies it.
2: It does. Well, what it provides is uh, anonymity. Um, And unless and until uh, we manage to safeguard freedom against anonymity, then it's going to continue like this. There's got to be some kind of regulation. And of course, the the ironic coincidence at the moment at the moment is that most of the uh, most of the giants who control these social media companies are absolutely dyed-in-the-wool humanitarian liber- liberals mm. uh, who haven't got any nastiness in them, and they're good guys who apply the genius and develop these stupendous commercial concerns, and somehow governments all around the world, including including ours, have got to secure their active cooperation in effective regulation. It's very difficult to do it by law, though some law would help, Um, and, you know, rational taxation of their gigantic profits uh, would help us to have resources to uh, introduce monitoring, some kind of filtering as well as sustain local media, which is, of course, absolutely vital for communities and is being killed off week by week, whether it's local newspapers or local radio or citizens radio of some kind. So resources are needed and the best place to get that, of course, are from the people who are making stupendous amounts of money, uh, you know, imaginable amounts of money from social media. Yeah. Well, just to put you completely
0: on the spot here, as we go so, is there a particular song that you'd like me to play for you
2: aye that's a good question what's the song i simply because it's such a great tune and i i won't inflict the glass classics on you it's a saxophone oh
0: Baker street jerry rafferty
2: yeah it's the man jerry rafferty yeah we'll stick that
0: on for you then and many thanks for joining us today it's been a pleasure to talk to you
2: same here thanks toby